for the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Raquel, for your welcome and to everyone else uh, who has made me feel so welcome. Uh, it's uh, great to be back here at St. Matthew's and see uh, still so many familiar, familiar faces. Um, I was reflecting actually on the way down here that um, my family and I first came to St. Matthew's in 1983. Uh, that's 40 years ago. <laughs> Doesn't time fly when you're having fun? Um, I was assistant minister to Kevin Giles and uh, I've joked often that when I call Kevin these days he still thinks I'm his assistant minister. (laughs) Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father be with us we pray as we reflect together on your word. We pray that your spirit might uh, inform our minds and warm our hearts and encourage us to be faithful disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of us, I suspect, have heard the popular interpretation of the parable traditionally known as the parable of the talents. Uh, Your version uh, referred not to talents but bags of gold, which is actually a much better translation. Um, But... The word talents is in the original uh, Greek, talenton, in, um, and it's still translated as talents in quite a number of modern versions. The new revised standard updated edition still has the word talents in it, and I think it's misleading um, because uh, talents in the popular interpretation uh, is taken to mean um, our natural abilities or God-given gifts. So pervasive is this interpretation that uh, it's, it's uh, got into everyday English. We speak of uh, someone who might be a very talented pianist or of a footballer, we might say he has a rare talent. So on this interpretation, uh, the meaning of the parable is that in the time between now and when Jesus returns, we should make the best use of our gifts and abilities in the service of God's kingdom. Now, actually, there's nothing particularly wrong with that statement. The problem is that it's not the meaning of the parable. It misses the point and dilutes the impact of the parable. I'm not sure how this popular interpretation gained such currency because in the text there are a number of pointers that should steer us in a different direction. And I want to take a few moments, first of all, just to, uh, I, say, I suppose, say a few things against this uh, traditional interpretation, but that will lead us into uh, what I believe is the correct interpretation. And um, you can talk to me afterwards if you agree or disagree. Um, but if we, um, if we look at the text, uh, first of all, we really need to be aware that in the time of Jesus... Uh, a talent was commonly understood to refer to to a very large sum of money. I mean, it was a huge amount of money. Uh, In the single other use of of the word in the whole of the New Testament, in the parable of the unforgiving servant, the word talent unambiguously refers to the huge sum of money owed by the servant to his master. 
Luke's version of this parable uh, refers to miners, which is another unit of currency, not quite as large as a talent, but still a significant amount of money. There seems no reason uh, from the text to prefer a more metaphorical interpretation. On a plain reading of the text, the talents represent wealth or treasure, not personal gifts or abilities. Uh, and, of course, your translation, which I think is a very good translation, uh, translated the word talent as bags of, a bag of gold or bags of gold. As to the value of a talent, um, there's some agreement amongst commentators that a talent was equal to about 6,000 denarii. And since a denarius was a day's wage for a labourer, the sums of money in the, in the parable are just astronomical. Uh, we could guess at perhaps um, uh, a million dollars entrusted to the first servant, 400,000 to the second, 200,000 to the third. Another reason to question the popular interpretation is that the parable is delivered at a time of just supercharged tension. It's delivered on the Wednesday of what we now call Holy Week, a week, you'll remember, that began with the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, which was a dramatic affirmation of uh, Jesus' claim to be the Messiah. And it was an affirmation that was taken up and celebrated by the crowds, much to the consternation of the religious and civic leaders. And then immediately following this, Jesus goes to the temple and drives out the uh, money, sorry, drives out the traders and overturns the tables of the moneylenders. You can imagine the turmoil that that provoked. Now, all this uh, provoked intense fear and opposition amongst the religious leaders. So much so that having failed to defeat Jesus over the next two days in debate, they begin to plot his death. On the Wednesday evening of that week, Jesus retires with his disciples to the Mount of Olives. And that's where he tells this parable. He's two days away from crucifixion. And he knows it. And it seems to me that at such a tense moment, it will be unlikely that Jesus would deliver a parable with the rather tepid meaning conveyed by the popular interpretation. It just doesn't fit with the stress and the urgency of the moment. And finally, I'd encourage you to look at the whole narrative that leads to the telling of this parable. See, Jesus tells this parable in answer to a question. But to find out what that question is, you have to go back to the beginning of chapter 24 of Matthew's Gospel. And there, Matthew records, as Jesus came out from the temple and was going away, his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. Then he asked them, you see all these, do you not? Truly, I tell you, not one stone will be left here upon another, all will be thrown down. When he was sitting at the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will this be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Well, the first part of that question, uh, when will the temple be thrown down, is answered in the first part of chapter 24. To answer the second part, what will be the sign of your coming, Jesus in the second part of chapter 24 and through to the end of our passage tells three parables. 
the parable of the faithful steward, the parable of the wise bridesmaids, and our passage, the parable of the talents, traditionally known as the parable of the talents. Our passage begins with Jesus saying, it will be as if. And we need to ask ourselves what the it in that introduction refers to. And the reference is to the opening words of the previous parable, the parable of the bridesmaids, where Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. So moving forward, we could paraphrase the opening of our passage as, for the kingdom of heaven is as if a man going on a journey summoned his servants, and so on. The reference is to the kingdom of heaven. The parable has to do with the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, as Mark and Luke have it. It is not a cautionary tale about making the best use of one's gifts. Well, you know the parable. Um, The master entrusts part of his immense wealth to his servants and then goes away, leaving his servants to employ the funds he entrusted to them. On the master's return, two servants have multiplied the master's wealth and they are recognised as good and faithful and invited to share the joy of their master. The The third servant, however, has simply buried the riches entrusted to him and made no increase in the master's wealth. He's called to account, and he comes forward with an excuse. Sorry about the small writing. Master, he says, uh, I knew that you are a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. His master's unimpressed, to say the least, and replies... You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given. And they will have an abundance, but from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Now, on account of this third servant's depiction of the master, some people have struggled with the view that the master in the parable represents Jesus. I mean, the the, the servant portrays Jesus as a harsh, grasping character. And what's more, in the parable, the master seems to assess this assessment, uh, accept this assessment. This, uh, some argue, just doesn't align with the character of God as uh, Jesus reveals that to us. And so they have difficulty accepting that the master represents Jesus. Those who raise this objection seem to forget that this third servant is in real trouble and he's desperately seeking to justify himself. We have no reason to believe that his allegations are true. On the contrary, the master's actions at the beginning of the parable suggest an almost reckless generosity and trust. Now, on that reading, the master's reply is ironic. Oh, so you reckon I'm a harsh man, do you? Well, in that case, you can be judged according to your own words. The irony, I think, is fairly obvious. So, if you can accept 
that the master in the parable represents Jesus. Have a think about this. What then is the immense wealth that Jesus entrusts to his followers, both now and then, when he goes away? What is it that he entrusts to us following his death, resurrection and ascension? It's not personal abilities and it's not money. What is it? Well, I want to suggest to you that what Jesus entrusts to us is the good news that in him, and especially through his death and resurrection for us, the riches of the kingdom of God are offered to us and to all humankind in Christ. All the blessings that we know in Christ, free and full forgiveness, reconciliation with God and with each other, a new life in Christ and a life, what's more, that is not made meaningless by death, and the gift of the Holy Spirit to guide us and to empower us. All these things and more are the riches of the kingdom entrusted to us, the grace of God extended to us. It is these riches I'm suggesting to you that are represented metaphorically by the talents in the parable or the bags of gold in your translation. And it follows that the task of faithful servants is to multiply these riches and to extend the kingdom of God. If that's the case, then this parable is a challenge from the lips of Jesus to continue and indeed to expand his mission in the time before his return. The parable has to do with mission. And its impact, I think, can't be restricted to individuals. It has to be heard also by churches. And I think it has huge contemporary relevance for our diocese. Well, as we continue to think about this, notice initially the almost casual note in the parable that the master returned only after a long, a long time. That's an interesting and cautionary inclusion. Jesus is saying, don't get overly focused, uh, looking for signs of the end. There will be a delay before I return. And while you're waiting, act faithfully. And acting faithfully means multiplying the master's riches, which on my reading means extending the kingdom of God. The focus in the parable, I think, is on the third servant. He fails to grasp the generosity, the immense generosity of his master. And he fails to understand the trust that is being invested in him. He hides the master's treasure and then claims that the blame for this actually lies with the master and that fear of the master lies behind his actions. The master, however, rejects this. He rebukes the servant as wicked and lazy. And then in another saying, which is problematic for many readers, orders the wealth that was entrusted to him should be taken and given to the servant who had ten talents or ten bags of gold. Concluding, for all those who ha- to, to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This sounds rather unfair to many readers and even harsh. But think about this. 
Trust is a personal relationship which is dynamic. If it's acted on, it grows. If it's neglected, then slowly but surely it dies. God extends the riches of the kingdom to us in trust. And as we, as individuals and churches, take up that trust, we grow in Christ and increase in our capacity to trust. To those who have, more will be given. On the other hand, if we fail to act on the trust we profess, then our life in Christ will begin to fall away and will become increasingly less able to trust and eventually may arrive at a point where our trust is effectively dead and as a consequence we find ourselves in a place of spiritual darkness. For from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Whether as individuals or as a church, if we fail to take up the trust that God has extended to us, if we hide or hug to ourselves the riches of the good news that God has entrusted to us, we shouldn't be surprised to find the vitality of our faith and mission in decline. Uh, John Stott of Blessed Memory once remarked that mission has to include both words and works. Words without works, he said, are meaningless, but works without words are ambiguous. And of course that's true. It must be, John Stott said it. I have the greatest respect for John Stott. In this diocese, there's no lack of good work being done as an expression of mission. But the way I see it at the moment, there's precious little proclamation by word of the gospel. And I wonder whether that's because, by and large, for one reason or another, we have lost sight of the immense generosity of God and that maybe trust has become tentative. And like the third servant, we have buried the treasure entrusted to us. The early church was in no doubt as to how the riches of the kingdom were multiplied. Read through the speeches in Acts or any of Paul's letters and you'll find that the apostles consistently proclaimed Jesus as the crucified and risen Lord. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom. The apostles proclaimed the king. It's in the proclamation of Jesus as king that the riches of the kingdom of God are extended to others. Yes, the early church sought to live out and share the riches of the kingdom as far as it was able to in its early years and then more so as time went on and its influence grew. Living out the kingdom is vitally important. Just read the next parable coming in Matthew. But the early church was very clear about its task and its message. We preach Christ crucified, said Paul. Again and again. Well, I reckon it's always good to close on a positive note. So uh, let me point out for you that in the parable, the two servants who employ their master's riches with industry uh, bring their ma- they bring their master joy and they are rewarded. Well done, good and faithful servants. They're commended for what one commentator 
has labelled their bold, oh, sorry, their, their boldly enterprising approach to their task. Their boldly enterprising approach to their task. Now, this is not to make the parable into uh, a justification for rampant capitalism, which it's not. Rather, it's simply to suggest that perhaps as individuals and as a church, faithful, faithfulness might sometimes mean being boldly enterprising in the way we engage in the mission God has set before us. Faithfulness might sometimes mean being boldly enterprising in the ways we engage in the mission God has set before us. We hear a lot about um, obedience as an aspect of discipleship or discipleship as obedience and discipleship involves obedience. But perhaps discipleship also involves being boldly enterprising as we engage in the mission God has set before us. I'll leave you to think about that. seems a good point on which to conclude. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this parable, which is uh, both challenging and encouraging. And we pray as we continue to reflect on it that your spirit will guide our thinking, encourage us and energise us to take up the mission that you have set before us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.